Welcome to Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencibia Jr. and Jennifer Wolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between Two Chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. Welcome back, everybody, to a very, very special episode of uh, Between Two Chairs. My name is Fernando Arencibio Jr. I'm very happy to be here today. With me, as always, is my amazing co-host and partner, Miss Jennifer Woolman. <laughs> Jennifer, please take it away. Welcome back, everybody. I've got to tell you, we are so, so excited ever since our special guest said yes. Fernando and I have been running around like kids in a candy shop, like really high on sugar. And it's because Dalee Becker is joining us today for those just about anybody in retail knows Dilly. Anybody in Texas knows Dilly. She is the broker founder of Beckery Commercial Real Estate and Beckery Asset Management out of Austin, Texas. She is a super powerhouse. And for those of you who can't see and are only listening to the podcast, she is totally decked out from head to toe in red. There's a reason she wins all sorts of fashion awards. She's won tons of awards in economic and community improvement awards award in 2023 from Crew. Dali is a champion of building community, especially in Austin. Her signs just went up for a new ground up development of office and retail in East Texas. And her podcast, The Texas Triangle, covers issues and topics for investors and business owners to have more information on the five major metros in the Texas Triangle. So thank you so, so much for joining us and for saying yes. We know you're super, super busy. When you said yes, you were on a plane heading to Orlando for the, how do you pronounce that summit? The CREI Summit, Commercial Real Estate Influencers. And she's also won awards from... I always want to call it CREI. I don't know why, but the CREI, um, she's won awards from them as well. So what were your three biggest takeaways from that summit? I know you had a great time. Uh, gosh, I had a wonderful time. Uh, my takeaway, number one, every single year is uh, I always get to meet my heroes. I mean, there's so many people in commercial real estate I've been following since day one. I think we all do because that's how we learn. And there's more and more people getting on social media. So the first year uh, was 2021. That's right. Three, two, one. And um, I had followed Carrie Bob for years. I thought she was incredible, at I, but I'd never met her in person. And I got to meet her there uh, along with Duke Long was there and Michael Bowles, who has I think he was one of the very first podcasts. He, he started in 2011. So it has just been incredible to meet my heroes and then meet people that become my heroes. Like I didn't know about them till we meet at the summit. A very big takeaway. And I, I talked about it at an East Austin coffee that I have every other week here in East Austin, right across from my offices, was um, AI. You know, chat GBT, AI, all the things that are coming down the pike. And 
The most significant statement I heard about it was from Rod Santamassimo. He said, AI is not going to take your job. It's not going to steal your clients, but brokers that are using AI will. They're going to get more efficient. You could have your AI do, do cold calls now. So if you've got, if I'm competing against a computer that can do 200 calls a week, sooner or later, the, the computer's just going to win. I mean, it won't put me out of business and it depends on where you get your clients. A majority of my clients are an existing clients, so repeat clients. And then I am my own personal biggest client, so I'm not going to lose myself to AI. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, so that's, that's all the great things about AI. And Rod gave us, oh gosh, I don't know, 20 different websites to use. Some are paid, you know, to write content. Some are not. And there's one significant one that is www. There's an AI for that.com. Oh, I love that. Okay. <laughs> Put in anything you want AI to do, and it'll give you a list of all the AI websites. Some are paid, some are not. They're ranked, but you know, you know buyer beware. Just right. like you wouldn't <laughs> buy a building without inspecting it. Go inspect the AI websites. So that was number one, AI is huge. One of the things that really just, I was so happy to hear it after all these years was, I am very often asked and been asked for 12 years, why do I do social media? Like what, what is my return on investment? What is my game plan? What are my pillars? And I'm like, I just post whatever comes to mind that I can get out you know, with my little thumbs. And so I've never had a really good answer. Until Eric Qualman spoke, he was our keynote speaker at CREI Summit, and he said, your social media should surprise and delight. And I was like, oh my God, finally somebody has, <laughs> has given me. So that's what I've been doing for years. I want to make you laugh. I want to make you smile. I am always happy if you see me in my big red glasses and you're like, what is she wearing? That's ridiculous, Right. If you make fun of me, I don't care because you're going to remember me. <laughs> There's no forgetting you. Once you meet you, That's you right. have a personality the size of Texas and then some. So it's oh, a pleasure. Well, I try. And and I do. I try to delight. I try to surprise. Those are That's the fun side of me. The other side, of course, is the badass bitch where I'm ruthless. I'm tough. And I will put you through the ringer. So it's kind of like Jekyll and Hyde, I guess. Awesome. I, I had the pleasure of meeting you at Beth Azor's Women Investing in Real Estate Summit. And I became an instant fan just because you are delightful, but you're also very candid and very open and you tell things the way that they are. So I really appreciate that. I think that's super important in real estate for agents, for investors, for buyers, for sellers, transparency. So I know for Nando had some questions because <laughs> well you know I, I will say because I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you in person and so when Jennifer told me about you uh, you know I did a little bit of research and of course here's why social media is important because we have the opportunity to showcase our personalities before people get to meet us. I am a father of two daughters. I always tell them about how incredible it is that in real estate as a whole is largely dominated by women. Commercial real estate is a different approach. It, this is a good time as any to, to talk about your journey and the growth of women in, in commercial real estate. How do you see that path? I'd love to get your perspective on that. Oh, I have so many perspectives. So <laughs> I do... 
I do try to be brutally honest. That's that's what my husband would call it. And I think there's a lot of value in that. We can sugarcoat a lot of things. And for the right audience, for the right reasons, that's fine. It's fine. Um, in business, it's typically not. Let's just get to the nuts and bolts of it. So women in commercial real estate. Um, I preface this because my mother started in banking in 1964. She was a teller at a bank and over 30 years, she rose to vice president and controller, a very high level for a woman. And I've thought about it as I've gotten older. Here's the big thing. In 1977, whenever I was born, women could not have credit cards in their name, right? We haven't been playing at this game very long, boys. I mean, we're coming for you and fast. <laughs> fast. So I don't worry so much that, you know, if crew, I believe crew's um, report, the last one that they did, their white paper was um, 82% of commercial real estate is men. Okay. That means we got 18% that are women. That's a lot more than 40 years ago, right? It's a big deal. It's still a male-dominated industry, and that's going to be slow to change. Commercial real estate is slow to change. It's a good old boy network because it has been historically for a very long time. I don't particularly feel like men are trying to keep me out. Um, I probably don't run into those men. They run the other way. <laughs> they don't want to play with Delete. Um, unless they have something to sell me and they know I'll buy it. So I, I have found a lot of men are very welcoming to this industry. And I'm grateful for that. I think that one of the things, and this is, a, so I wear red. Funny enough, I started doing it before I met Beth Azor, but it's incredible that she does it also. So now every time I put on red, I think of her and she is quite the hero to me. And I get to call her a friend. Only 3% of commercial real estate is owned and managed by women. Okay. Significantly low. If, we've, if we couldn't have a credit card in 1977, it wasn't very much before that, that we could actually own real estate in our name unless it was inherited. And I cannot remember when that date was. So um, thank you to all the women that have come before us that have pushed for our rights and that we can do this now. And that for that, I'm grateful. So more of a champion than a, oh, woe is the women. We don't, we don't have a fair wages. There's a wage gap. I mean, and this is the honest truth and people may or may not like this, but at the end of the day, they found, we found out during the pandemic, 70% of household duties follow women. Taking care of the kids, taking care of aging parents, all of those household duties, it's very, very hard for us to play at the same level as men, right? Men don't usually leave the office to take their kids to the dentist and the doctor and sports, all the sports, all the sports that falls on women. So to a degree, I mean, we choose that. I have a son. I chose to have him. So a lot of that, I just remember, like I chose this, I chose this, but Women are very good at balancing a lot of things. And I think that we're very good at commercial real estate because it takes an incredible amount of thinking in a lot of different arenas. So we're gaining. And as for investing in real estate, I have found this to be very true. And I'll also ask some people the other night at a charity event. Women have more fear about investing money and losing it. Period. The most interesting thing was I was at a charity event. It was not commercial real estate related. 
and I was speaking to some men and I said, answer me truthfully. If your wife invested in real estate, any kind, and she lost money, would you be harder on her than you, than she's ever been on you about losing money? And both of them looked at me and said, yes. That's interesting. Isn't it interesting? Mm -hmm. And we know this. So I'm married and I don't know that my husband holds me to a higher standard, but you know, he feels competent in what he can do and he worries that I might make mistakes. (laughs) Well, and, and don't you find that it's also that we tend to feel guiltier. Like I feel guilty about stuff that my husband is like, Oh, I don't feel guilty about that. So if I were to lose money, I would feel guilty. If he were to lose money, he'd be like, Oh, well, you know, we took a risk, but I would feel guilty. So maybe it's avoidance of guilt that makes us afraid. Maybe it is. And I mean, I agree. I think that women do feel guilty. Also, you know why we feel guilty because we really vetted it. Mm -hmm. So a woman will vet an investment property. A woman will vet what brokerage she's going to go work at way more than a man will. So it's almost you, you let yourself down more than guilt. It's like, oh, no, oh, no, I made a mistake. And we don't like to make mistakes. Right. Men just get over it. They're just like, ah. <laughs> which is why. But but, but the reality is that um, men just get over it, but we also get a pass because often we have a woman by our side that puts their hand (laughs) on our shoulder and says, it's okay, you'll get them next time. And so there's a there's a sense of safety. Right. Uh, If you're with the right partner where you get home and you're like, you know, uh, even in your worst days, you have that person by your side. And and to your point, maybe a woman doesn't feel that that certain sense of, of safety net when it comes to taking a big risk and striking out. So one of the things to that I loved a quote that I always remember, and I've used it several times in the podcast, is your philosophy of buying on the edge of scary, because we talk about that a lot. We talk about fear a lot on this podcast, how to overcome it, whether you're leaving a brokerage, starting a new company, trying to invest, investing in something different from what you're used to. Tell us your background on that philosophy. What got you started? What was your first scary investment? Just lead us down that road because I love it. Um, Okay. Well, I I love the road. And so Edge of Scary started with our very first commercial real estate building that I am sitting in. So it is where my offices are today. And it's at 1101 East 6th Street. It is three blocks from downtown Austin, Texas. And in 2006, it was a falling down building. The roof had caved in, uh, but it was a brick building I believe it was $300,000 and we got brought in by another partner. We were the general contractor. So we came in, we renovated the building back then. Um, this was the bad side of town uh, east of I-35 was where, and it's in the city plan from 1924 where the city had segregated the minorities. So it is where the minorities were living and that it was their community. And it had not changed in 2006, but my husband saw the building and he walked outside the front door and he could see downtown. And he said, this will be good someday. And it was that simple, which also goes to my cowgirl math. I do everything very simply. 
I'm trying to think if there's ever been a building that I have bought that I didn't know right away I was going to buy it. I mean, like, I'm like, I'm going to buy this. Then I go do, do the due diligence because usually the metrics are there, either the location, the tenant, the property type. I bought a warehouse that was under construction for $100 a square foot. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I knew they were going to spend 150 a square foot building it. I mean, that's so that was the construction side. It didn't matter where it was. D- to be fair, it probably mattered, but it was, you know, outside the city limits here in Austin, Texas, 20,000 square feet of industrial. It was it was a very good deal. I just get to my, my husband sees the location. We renovate the building and we all put our offices here because you really couldn't rent it for much. It, it had not started gentrifying yet. Uh, but the gentrification did come and I would say probably really started banging about 2013, 2014. And I went to my husband and our partner, Chris Krager, and I said, I think I can get $14 a square foot plus triple nuts for this. And they're like, you've gone insane. That's ridiculous. Nobody's going to rent it for that. And I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, like I have been studying this for 18 months. I feel confident. So they're like, fine, if you can do that, then we'll move out. So I had at least in 90 days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Time to move. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, but you know, we owned it for seven years before that occurred. So the, the reason why edge of scary works is there's not as many investors willing to take the risk and wait. That waiting thing is a big one. Waiting doesn't bother me. So the cowgirl math is this simple. If I review a building that I'm looking at buying and let's say it's vacant because those are really my favorite, right? I buy it vacant and I pencil in what I believe I can get in rent. And it comes out to a six cap and that works for me. I'm good to go. If it stays a six cap for 10 years, okay, like I could be fine with that. But chances are in 10 years, it's going to be better or 15. So I never buy anything with an exit plan ever, ever, ever. The idea is always hold it, but I have a price on everything I own. (laughs) So if you hit my price, I always say yes which has put me in some binds before, like where I had to do a 1031 and, and I didn't want to. And I'm like, that's my deal. Like it's my rule and I stick to it. So that way, some things are kind of in concrete, if that makes sense. Because the majority of what I do every day is thinking like, okay, well, how do I, well, we want this price, but what if we close faster? Or what if we do this? You know, we're dancing around all of these terms. So sometimes if I can just have easiness in my life, that's what I do. So I'll finish the edge of scary. So the edge of scary, I explain to people, if I walk outside, I I bought a retail center in East Austin. I walked outside, there were needles in the gutter and a bus stop across the street. And I knew the, the growth was coming. I bought it. I mean, it was, yeah, that easy. That's but awesome. You, you've always had that. Sorry. Go ahead. You've always had that intuition. Is that something that, that you develop? Because one of the things that I've always read about you is this importance of boots on the ground, the importance of really understanding your neighborhood, really understanding a market. And so, you know, I, I feel that intuition, like luck, is based on preparation, right? The more you prepare, 
the more intuitive you are about the decisions you're going to make, just like the luckier you are, right? And so I wonder how much of that boots on the ground approach really gave you that empowering sense of intuition. This would make sense. I think all of it. So I will say, so one of the significant things that I do, it's why I've never invested outside of Texas. And, and I will say yet, that doesn't mean I wouldn't in Florida. <laughs> definitely on my list of places to go if I invested outside of Texas. Let's say um, anything, retail, warehouse, um, office. My, in my due diligence is how am I going to backfill this? Always assume the tenant's going to leave. Always assume the tenant's going to leave. So if somebody sends me a Starbucks and Starbucks is paying $60 a square foot plus triple nets and everything around there is 40, I'm not buying that Starbucks. What if Starbucks leaves? Walgreens. And I hear brokers say this all the time. Oh, they'll never leave. <laughs> I don't know what world you're living in, but I saw during the pandemic things that were never supposed to happen they happen, right? And, so true. and I'm not a big enough landlord to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Starbucks. I mean, I'd sick my attorney on them, but you know, when would that get settled? So always have a backfill plan. It is a huge significant benefit that I'm in brokerage. It's also why I do brokerage. So I'm in leasing. I know I can lease it. I bought a restaurant in um, Houston, Texas, and it's currently a Taco Casa. <laughs> I bought it during the pandemic. I bought it during the pandemic in a 1031 devil drive through. Like wow. the most coveted the jackpot retail yeah. ever. Or at least during the pandemic, it became like the hot topic. Okay, not only that, um, it is across the street from oh god, I can't remember the school district. Oh, Cypress Fair. Cypress Fair School District the largest sports complex for a high school in the state of Texas. I mean, it's ginormous. Wow. And their gate, when those people leave gymnastics, <laughs> soccer, baseball, football, 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 volleyball, <laughs> they see my taco casa. I don't own the business, but they see my building. So I know I can backfill it. And they're paying rent at half of market. Now, when I bought it, they had seven years remaining with a 10-year extension. I'm fine with that. That's fine. If they stay, hallelujah. I mean, to be fair, and they if they're watching, they know this. I mean, I've, I've defaulted them three times. I'd like to get them out because I get a lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> they, always, they always remedy the default right at the last minute. I find interesting because I, I once heard the New York developer, uh, Richard LeFranc, speak about this saying that the number one and most important word in real estate we all know is location 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 but the mm -hmm. second one is timing 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 so the fact that you are willing to invest in the edge of scary but you're also willing to give yourself a very long timeline right to see it through uh does that put you in a in 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 a, a, a position of advantage when you're competing for deals in your marketplace when everybody else is looking for safety to a degree and where people are looking for a quick return, right? They might have a five-year horizon. You are okay waiting 20 years because you know what's going to happen to that real estate. So funny enough, I think it actually puts me at a disadvantage for 
buying property. The last 10 years, there have been so many syndications and so many more syndicators and all of these funds, and they promise 18% IRR and all these very sexy numbers. <laughs> They're so sexy. I don't do that. I want to tell you the truth. I want to say it's a 6% cap rate today. If the tenant stays for 10 years, it'll be a 6% cap rate then. I mean, with some bumps, maybe it'll be seven and a half. But based on my experience in 10, 12 years, it's going to be significant. We'll make a bunch of money. But I don't put numbers to it. And IRR, those are projections. They, they may be right. They may be wrong. And I know a lot of people that are getting cash calls right now. Lots of people. I just heard of one the other day, a friend of a friend, very wealthy person has been cash called on one of the syndications he's been in. He's been cash called four times, four times. Yeah. He's eaten up like half a million dollars cash out of his bank account. Now, I'm sure everything's going to come back. But I'd like to see that IRR. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and that's why I like your cowgirl math, because it doesn't have that. And I think that that's very unique, because to your point, with all the sexy spreadsheets and calculations and a hard exit that they have in order to calculate the IRR, right? You have a fixed exit date when you when you do that. Well, what if that's the wrong time to exit the building? <laughs> what if you don't have your IRR in five years or seven years or three years, whatever your exit is? So the fact that you're investing in a property based on today and its value today, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it works. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to leave because we, we um, Jennifer and I have a different approach when we're getting to learn an area, right, on a market and, and a neighborhood. I, I love to get started with the zoning map. So I'm, I'm a zoning map person. I want to see what was intended for the use, where are the corridors, where is the, you know, the, where where are the housing units, where are the retail, all that other stuff. And Jennifer likes to start with the community that is already there. What does the neighborhood feel like, all that stuff. What is your approach, especially when you go into a, a new market or a new neighborhood? How do you in this boots on the ground approach, how do you get to really know a market? Okay, well, first of all, I don't use zoning maps and all of that, but I would love to hang out with you. I mean, really, <laughs> I, you may change my mind because I was just, I was getting like a kid in a candy store when you're talking about it. Because I do, I mean, I love zoning maps. I love, you know, land plan uses, yeah. all of those things. Um, more and more, I am following utilities, you know, where they're putting in new lines and all of that. But my boots on the ground is simply literally walking it. Um, another thing that my husband and I do quite a bit is we ride bikes. We ride bicycles around a neighborhood. We look to see what's going on. I can tell you demographics, but in the cowgirl map kind of way, right? And then I can go look them up on, I look at RPR and CoStar and all those things to verify what I believe. But I, I really do. So we bought a building in San Antonio in 2021. It was December 2021, so almost 2022. I've been looking in San Antonio for 15 years. Wow. My stepson, Hyatt, grew up in San Antonio. So I was there quite often. So we 
I mean, I studied that market a long time. So when the building came up, I knew that area. I mean, I hadn't walked it and I hadn't ridden a bicycle, but I was quick to pinpoint, oh, I know what's going on. And the area is a very established area. San Antonio, for instance, doesn't get the same rents as Austin. I mean, it's really half the price to live in of Austin or cheaper or cheaper. And they have incredible buildings. I mean, beautiful buildings. So Austin is smaller and we don't have as many buildings. And most of the older ones, they're getting knocked down so that we can go higher and be more dense, which in a city planning since is a very good thing. It's, I'm really not against it. But in San Antonio, they don't have to do that because they had so much money way back when. They have gorgeous old buildings, retail out the wazoo. They get half the rent. So, But I know, so the building I bought was on West Commerce. I knew without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I could keep it rented, right? I'm not going to get the highest rent. I'm just going to get mediocre rent. And I'm always going to keep it rented. Very stable area. I would say low income, uh, majority Hispanic. They're very familial people. They don't move, right? You don't hear people getting, I'm going to California. (laughs) (laughs) They they might move to Austin, but not even that. So, I mean, and it was a very safe place for me to put money, but I knew it. I mean, I really, really knew it. For Austin, I know it like the back of my hand because I've been here for 35 years. I can't say the whole Austin. In East Austin, I can pretty much tell you what any building is zoning without looking at a map. You would just tell me the address and I go, yep, I know that building. Yeah, this is the zoning it probably has. And then if it's gotten rezoned, well, hallelujah. Well, and to your point, you bought that first building. You said it was near um, I-35, which based on your Texas Triangle first podcast, the first episode that you did with that um, demographics expert, he said that the I-35 corridor is just exploding. So your gut told you something that took several years to happen, but... Yeah, but I mean, you know... Cowgirl math didn't fail you. Well, and, and for, for just, let's just take as three. So um, it is, oh God, Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger calls it core competency. My core competency is knowing what things rent for. Period, period, period. And I spoke about it on the panel with, or actually I was on stage with Bess Azor. The first thing I did whenever I got my license, I wasn't even going to work with clients. I just wanted to buy buildings for Beckwright and Sons. That's my construction company. And I got LoopNet and I studied LoopNet every single day. I knew what things were on the market to sell for. And I knew what things were on the market to lease for. If you study that for 18 months, you almost don't need sold comps and leased comps. You're going to get a feel of what's going on. So I try to keep, you know, I try to keep competency on that. I'm always reading and talking to people and devouring information so that if an opportunity pops up and I'm on it, because that's the other thing. Opportunities don't usually hang around for weeks for you to go figure it out. Right. And that's what they say about lucky, right? It's being prepared so that when the opportunity does come up, you look lucky, but <laughs> you've just been you've just been preparing yourself for the right moment to appear and then you're able to take advantage of it. 
So that's awesome. That is it. And you asked me, you know, a mindset. That is my mindset. I don't know what opportunity is coming my way, but I'm prepared. <laughs> and, and, you know, many times when you're a broker, you often run into this issue where you have someone coming into the marketplace. They're looking for a certain type of property. The first property you show them, you know, is the best property they're going to see but they have a mental hang up because they're not prepared, right? They haven't studied the market. They don't see it. So they got to really trust that the information that you're providing is accurate. To your point, you were looking at that San Antonio market for so long that you knew immediately when you saw it, it you know, what the value was uh, of that building. And, and that's where preparation meets opportunity. And then the other thing is, which we kind of alluded to at the beginning, you got to also not be afraid to execute and to, and to jump, right? You have to get over the fear. You've got to jump. I mean, and then, you know, whenever you're buying a property, that means put a contract in, you know, generally I offer a thousand dollars for 30 days. I probably put 15 properties under contract every year. That's just fun money. I don't, I don't worry about that thousand dollars is so that I get time to do my due diligence. Oh gosh, I was going to say something else. It was so good that <laughs> it was so good. It'll come back to you. I know. Okay. Here, here, here's my complaint about our industry. So, and, and it's one of the issues I have with AI and chat GBT and all of the things that people that are less experienced in commercial real estate they're using these tools, but they don't actually know what they need to know to be experts. So I have found same thing. A, a person comes to town or I'm working with a nail supply company, um, nail, nail supply. And, you know, they want to look at everything. Well, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't look at everything. There's only going to be certain things that work and you have to have your loan approved at the bank. I'm not going to spin my wheels because there's a good chance the first building I find for you is going to be the one and you need to pull the trigger. Let's rock and roll. There's, there's only so many now, and I'm not in a huge market. Maybe if I were in Los Angeles, there'd be an enormous amount of properties that would work, but there's not going to be for this person. She wants 20,000 square foot warehouse. She's got a budget and that's that, right? <laughs> and I will know it whenever it's the one I'm going to say, this is the one. But I understand there are people, the, the general public that doesn't do this every day, they are suspect of commercial real estate brokers. And I will tell you, there is some truth behind it. I don't think it's us three sitting here. There are commercial real estate brokers that are in it for the commission, period. So they'll do a bad deal just to get paid. So it gives the rest of us like this hurdle that we have to get over. <laughs> right. The perception, the for perception sure. that we're just in it for ourselves and for the commission. And it, it breaks my heart. I don't know what to do. I think chat GBT and AI is actually going to hurt our image as people hmm. use it more and more. So that's actually my concern. And I do believe, uh, you know, us experts that are, you know, dealing with repeat clients, maybe we don't have a huge book of business, but we don't, we're not really trying to have a big big book of business, it won't hurt us. My, right. my clients can see through an AI written email. No. And I think that the, the biggest concern is that, you know, let's be honest, the, 
experienced investor is gonna do their own due diligence, they're gonna make their own decisions, they're probably gonna be okay with less than stellar representation, right? The, the issue is that when, where I find a lot of the same issues you're finding is when you're representing like a medical practice, you know, it's 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 a small business, they're trying to get into, into a space, and sometimes they buy in a location where the zoning is not really favorable or the configuration of the building or there's not enough parking or, you know, there are other concerns that that arise and, uh, and, and oftentimes it's the small businesses that get hurt by that lack of quality representation. Well, and, and especially the small businesses, because let's say they're owner-occupying, they're buying or leasing, they only do this every five years at most. That's right. They're not experts. Yeah. Right? So they are relying on us to show them what's available. What are the best opportunities? One of my very favorite stories, I have a client who I represented and buying a retail restaurant in Lockhart. And then he called and said, I need to lease space for my 24 hour veterinarian surgery center. Okay, very specific. <laughs> 24 hour veterinarian surgery. Like it's, it's like, yeah, the ER of, of veterinarians. And so I said, well, and that's ridiculous. You're not going to lease. There, there's no way. I mean, your tenant finish out is, is just going to be incredible. Once you do the tenant finish out, cause he's like, well, I think I can find something for about $18 a square foot out in Lake Travis area. And I said, you can until five years, whenever you're, Lease comes up for a market bump. They're going to bump it up because now it's specialty finish out. Where are you going to go? They know you're going to stay. And I know this because that's the kind of landlord I am. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not going anywhere. So you're going to pay above market because I can make you. And it's that simple. So we went around the horn for, I think, maybe three weeks. So finally, he's like, okay. He's like, you're right. I, I will buy. And I said, yes, yes, you will buy. So then we started looking at land, could not find a building, land, land, land. And I'm like, man, this is, I, I really prefer we find a building because as much as I love you, Dr. Mike, you do not want to be a full-time developer general contractor. Because you make money by doing surgery on animals daily. We finally did find a building that was for sale. And luckily, it had been a 24-hour fitness. So it was just perfect. I mean, perfect. It's, it's glorious. It's so glorious. And so, of course, I said to him, what I say to most of my clients, and I should say most of my clients are in the 1 to 5 million, maybe 1 to 7 million. I generally stick to that that bucket because it's what it's what I play in. I had a thought the other day, like, why am I not doing $20 million warehouses? Because I'm probably not going to buy them. So why do I want to clog my brain with that information? It's a whole other set of tenants and it's a, you know, everything changes, everything changes. So I said, you know, Dr. Mike, I have a feeling <laughs> your building is going to be worth more in 20 years than your business. And I imagine it will, because I think he's going to be all in around 8 million. And in 20 years, Lake Travis, goodness gracious. Right. So much money. Wow. So much. 
Yeah, and Texas is growing like Florida. I think your guys are actually growing faster than Florida. Well, well, I'll let you know in the fun stats. We're like, I'm prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, There we go. We're like Florida and Texas, especially like in the real estate association. We're always like, oh, we beat Texas. And then, oh, no, we're second to Texas. And oh, yeah, we beat Texas. I think it's so, I think I find this so, you know, incredible that we are talking to an expert of Austin because it, it just so happens that yesterday the counselors of real estate brought out their 2024 top 10 issues affecting real estate. Not surprising to anyone. One of them is a global housing shortage. And then yesterday there was a 60 minutes piece on the company icon on these three B uh, home builders out in Austin. And so I know you've, you've dealt a lot with the city of Austin's development and planning department. And I feel that the affordable housing crisis, right? The battleground is gonna be in this zoning and planning departments, right? And so I'm, I'm wondering how flexible have you found the zoning and planning department in Austin to be to new ideas and new development techniques and really the state of Texas as a whole, but we'd love your perspective. Um, the city of Austin is not flexible at all. We are anti-growth, <laughs> which is hilarious because we have exploded despite that, or maybe in spite of it, almost. I'm sure y'all have NIMBYs, uh, not in my backyard, and that is a very big thing here in Austin. See, we have a lot of residential homeowners that they want a front yard and a backyard, and they don't want multifamily next door. <laughs> okay. So they want a front yard, a backyard, and two side yards. Oh, yes, side yards. Yes. Well, yeah, I think we have a 25 foot setback. So, yes. Oh my, my gosh. gosh. That's huge. <laughs> huge. Oh, that's and don't, huge. don't quote me, sir. If somebody catches that and I'm wrong and it's five foot setbacks, and it all depends. <laughs> it all depends. To be fair, it all depends. But we do, although they might have, they, it's either up for vote to reduce it. But we have had the largest single family lot requirement at 5,500 square feet. Second only to Chattanooga, which has a 7,500 square foot single family lot requirement. Wow. So it has just... Did you see the special on 60 no. Minutes on, on Icon? On Icon. Oh, I, I highly recommend it. And anyone listening, it's you would love it's this really guy. amazing. You would yeah. love this guy. He, not only because he's a cowboy, but his philosophy and working to help, you know, he says, if I had to sell these luxury homes, I wouldn't be doing this business. But I can't make a living on the affordable housing side. So I do both. And he partnered with a gentleman mm-hmm. who built the whole little tiny house community for veterans. Yeah. Um, for homeless for veterans. Homeless, for homeless veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, so y- you would love him. It was very impressive. But to your point about NIMBYism, and I'm curious because in Florida, we had that issue everywhere for forever. I think everywhere has it. But last year, the Florida legislature passed something called the Live Local Act, which basically says that any commercial property can be used for affordable housing as long as a certain percentage. And I can't remember exactly what the percentages are, are affordable housing units. And they do not have to go through a public hearing or a rezoning. Yes. 
Well, and they're they're starting to put more tools and levers into our code here in Austin. So we went through a rewrite of our land development code that failed. Like we spent years and then kaput. It just, it died. So that won't happen. So they're trying to give us little tools here and there. And for instance, our 48,000 square foot office retail, they um, added something to the code where if we added one affordable um, housing unit in the building, we got extra height. So guess what we're doing? You're developing. We're putting in a tiny apartment in that office building <laughs> so that oh we God, can get the awesome. extra height which is going to give us more room for our mezzanine parking i mean it helps the development and we're happy to have the affordable housing no problem i i'm excited that they're coming up with ways to give developers tools because as developers we'll take everything we can get if i can get one more square foot that's worth eight hundred dollars to me on average Right. So I'll do anything for it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Tell us a little bit about the building at 2422 East 7th. I know you were super excited when your sign went up and that I loved that Instagram video of you driving out there. You start with your hair up. It looks like a very hot Texas day. And then by the time you get there with your big red glasses, you're like, I mean, your excitement was palpable. It was awesome. It was blazing hot that day. But I was like, I have to go do this. It was 107. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, Floridians, quit complaining. Seven. <laughs> I knew if I didn't go get it done that it would know, be weeks. And so uh, opportunity. So I have a quote. Maybe I've heard it somewhere before, but if not, I, it's mine. <laughs> most, most people miss opportunity because it's disguised as work. Love it. Period. Right. They're like, oh, that looks like too much work. I've actually had people that work for me. They're like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's too much work. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> okay. The best way to learn anything is to work your way through it. So uh, the development I had, I think it was 2017. I got an email from a gentleman named Mark Bornberg. Now, Mark is now my dear, dear friend. But this email said, I've heard of you and we need to have lunch. And I said, Roger that, Mark. <laughs> I mean, you would start with a compliment and pretty much you can have anything you want. <laughs> it's very easy with me. So um, we met at our, at our favorite place. I was like, do you, I, my favorite place in East Austin is Chew Michaels, which is since closed. And he's like, I love Chew Michaels. So we met for our hour lunch. We were there for three hours. And he had a like a small house under contract in East Austin that he was going to buy for his architecture firm and remodel and put their offices in it. And I looked at it, I was like, why? Why would you do that? Why would you buy a, a you know, a bungalow house? And he's like, oh, you know, it's it's artsy. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, you buy a commercial building. To be fair, I like to tell people what to do. <laughs> I love so, it. Because if you're not going to listen, then it's not going to work. Like you might be a lovely person, but you're not going to like working with me. And that's okay. So I was like, no, no, you're not buying a house. I said, you need to buy a commercial building. So one of us, I can't remember if it was him or me, uh, pulled out LoopNet and, he's, and we were like, what about this pawn shop on East 7th? And I looked at it and I said, you know what? I think that has a second story in it that they're not putting on the flyer. Residential agent. <laughs> 
So it was on the flyer for 4,000 square feet. It was actually 8,000 square feet. So Mark looks at my loop network pouring over my phone and we leave our lunch. We run over there. We look at it outside and he's like, yeah, I bet. I bet there is a, a second floor. So we put it under contract. I put everything under contract before touring because in the middle of me touring, it could be put under contract by somebody else. Oh. So, yeah. yeah, that's my number one rule. We, we got we to gotta put it under contract if we think it's going to work. So we did. Uh, he bought it. He did a renovation that is so beautiful. Oh, gosh, it's just one of my favorite buildings. He won AIA awards. He won the business, Austin Business Journal Award with it. Wow. So he, of course, him and I have been very, very close friends in that I don't see him all the time, but when I see him, we're together for four hours. Like we can't stop talking because he's like, what about this? And he's like, oh, I think this, and I think they changed this code. And he's like, well, what if we bought this building and we poisoned the tree? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can get more square foot on it. I think the far is this. And I'm like, oh my God. And the zoning. And what if we do this? And we put in affordable housing. I think we can get a hundred thousand square feet. So we have a ton of fun just talking. He has uh, since he had a, he owned Hotel Eleven in East Austin, which I sold kind of during the pandemic or at the very end of the pandemic for him, and I just adore him. He, he's so much fun and he's so incredibly brilliant, but he's also a small town Texas kid, right? Him and I talk the same language. So he calls me last November and he says, "Hey, I want to buy these." Five lots on East 7th. Will you write the contract? And I'm like, sure. So we do. And he gets them under contract. And he you know, goes back to his architecture firm, which he owns, Dick Clark Architecture. Comes up with a quick schematic. And he's like, I think we can get 42,000 square feet on this. Office retail. Do you want to go in on it? I want to go in on it because it's Mark. Right? I trust Mark. I don't really want to do a 42,000 square foot building. It's not really my favorite thing. Um, but I do want to have my offices in a Dick Clark architecture firm. I get to be down the hall for Mark. I trust him implicitly because I've known him for six years. You know, I've, I've seen how he does business. I know how he treats his employees. I just know the kind of person he is. And that's important to me whenever I'm handing over quite a bit of money that I could go put in my own investment. So for the very first time, we are investing in real estate that I don't control, which is like the biggest deal and that's how much I think of Mark. So in that time, Mark has gone to put together a bunch of partners, not a bunch, other partners. He wants to do a one-stop developer shop where you walk in the front door and we've got every service, if you will, that you need to do a development. So we're looking for a real estate attorney. Um, we've got Dick Arc Architecture, which is architecture, clearly. Swinnerton is who he got to come in as the GC for the project, but then they're our big, big partner. They, they've got a, a financial, <laughs> their, their checkbook is large. Uh, their financials are pretty, and they are also just incredible people. So out of the opportunity of Getting to be down the hall from Mark and owning another East Austin asset, it has opened up so many other doors and I've gotten to meet incredible people and learn from them. That's the other thing. So I think, let's say the IRR is 14%. Mark, Mark did the spreadsheet. 
And he's like, let's say we sell in 10 years. This is what it looks like. Because that's what everybody does. Just we all do it. And he's like, that's a pretty good return, right? And I said, I mean, I guess, Mark, it'll be the lowest return I've ever gotten. But I'm doing it for the relationships. I'm doing it to be in the building with you. And like I said, I've been in meetings with Swinnerton. They've taught me a few tips and tricks that I'm going to use on my own projects. That's invaluable. When I get a meeting with the president and the directors of a $4.9 billion, 150-year-old construction company. $4.9 $4.9 billion is what they did last year. Wow. Yeah. And you're partners with them. I was going to say, wow, how, how funny to go partner. from just you and only investing on your own to not only two partners, but multiple partners. But I guess if you've got a $4.9 billion partner, you can uh, get over a lot of fear. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, to be fair, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That does. Yeah. That was a huge, that was a huge win for me. When Mark got them, um, it was like, okay, yeah, let's, let's all, all in eyes closed. I'm all in. Um, but you know, a really huge thing turned out. Swinnerton came to town and we met with four bankers in two days, maybe five. And I knew them all. So they all walked in. They're like, Hey, Lee. That's <laughs> awesome. I'll tell you the Lee. I, I, uh, it was quite awesome. Cause all of a sudden you're like, a big deal. Who is this <laughs> <Yeah>. Lee? <laughs> We just thought she was just some little GC broker girl and she knows everything. So, and I say that that is networking. So I'm a huge, huge advocate for network, network, network. And it goes back to social media. I surprise and delight because it's not who I know, it's who knows me. That's right. That's a big deal. That that and that man, I mean, I walked out of those meetings. Let's just say I floated in the front door of the house to my husband. I'm like, uh, I'm kind of a big deal. Like <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I've heard that quote before, and I've heard it said like this most people miss the opportunities because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. <laughs> All right. But yes. there's another quote that I think you would agree with, which is that if you are the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I, and I love that approach of the IRR is not only monetary, but the education and the contacts and the partnerships and relationships that I could build are going to be exponentially much higher than if I just focus on the IRR. And that's my only metric for jumping into an opportunity. Yeah, you can't put a dollar amount on the value you're going to get out of those relationships and that in turn, you're going to be able to give to them. Right. Since now they know that, you know, everybody in town, you're also going to be teaching them stuff, too. Right. And that relationship, those relationships, you're not going to be able to put a value on. Plus the experience that you're getting being in a much bigger building and putting this whole one shot deal is pretty exciting. No one. Now I understand a lot more the the excitement (laughs) in that in that Instagram post. It was amazing. It was amazing. It's a big deal. And yes, I mean, to, and this is me being humble. I am clearly the small fish in that pond. And I'm very, very grateful that they have invited me in and they're letting me play. Right. What a blessing. What a blessing. And so I do always, I think I texted you, you know, I'm going to bring my A game. If people, 
if I am asked to do something, I'm so very grateful. And I really, really try. I, you know, I put on makeup. I, do this <laughs> I know I was telling Fernando when you ran off, I'm like, oh, I feel really bad because I don't even know if I have lipstick. And if I do, it's really light. <laughs> <laughs> You look beautiful. Really, you found it on her necklace. Exactly. It's it's my bling. You got your bling. That's my bling. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, and and I don't know if you heard me whenever I said it, because I don't know if I said it on stage, but going back to the fear and women may have more fear, all of those things. We we have to push each other up. Like I got to push you up a hill and go, go do this. Just go do it. Um, we have to pull each other. And I told women, I said, if you can't wear this out in the open, let's say you work at Cushman Wakefield and you're in the offices and it's just not appropriate. I totally understand that. But there's days I call it, I know I'm going to battle that day, right? I, I got a tiger by the tail. I got to go negotiate something that I may not win. Right? It's going to be ugly. People are upset. It's going to be bad. Wear the necklace just underneath something. That's why I have this one on top because I was in the office and I wore it all day because I'm like, I'm going to forget it in my backpack and then I'm going to be mad. And so I had something, but I made sure in the office I didn't care. I was feeling it today. So <laughs> I love it. I, we got Dilly Becker on our show. Yeah, that's so awesome. <laughs> it's good to feel it. And I want all women to feel it. And if you don't feel it, call me and I will tell you. You talked about Marissa. I mean, yep. Marissa's that kind of lady too. Oh, no. Yep. Absolutely. She's amazing. Well, I know now I'm itching because I know you kind of hinted at your little fun stuff. Do you have anything else before we wrap up? No, we uh, listen, I I could talk to you for hours. I know you can so much more to say. I will say this one more thing because I think it's important. I was a teacher for 10 years. I've always spoken to people about how I believe teachers are very well equipped to be great brokers. As a teacher, you get thrown so many curveballs and you have to be ready for the unknown factor. And the great teachers are always ready to pivot. And that's the way I feel about about women, right? Because you have to handle so many things, especially when you're balancing work and the home. And oftentimes what I see is the same way that I see the teacher, you know, that ability to pivot, that ability to, to shift. Uh, again, as a father of two daughters, I want an industry that is going to welcome them if they ever decide to jump in. I, a lot of credit goes to people like my partner, Jennifer, people like you, the Lee, People like Beth Azor. So I think we're ready for our fun fact. Okay. So I think we should you start know, with the guest. Right, of course. Sure. I don't know if mine is that great. But um, <laughs> I'm going to look so that I don't. Okay, so I've got it. So number one, I was, I was going to joke. It's fairly true, but um, I find it funny that Florida is always watching Texas and seeing how y'all are doing. Because in Texas, we just think we're the only ones that are here and it doesn't matter. We don't pay attention to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) We just find all the stats and the facts that make us look good. It's that. It's Uh, that 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 We're big. I think we're the ninth largest economy in the world now, just to be fair, bigger than most countries, which I would say is probably very true about Florida. So... My fun facts, uh, that's my lead into my fun facts. Um, I started to fall in love with Florida whenever Marissa moved there. 
and I became part of the CREI influencers because Sarah Malcolm lives there and then Beth Azor. So again, Beth Azor was a, was a hero of mine. And I saw her in the crowd at Globe Street in 2022. And Carrie Bob, who had become a friend, was like, you don't know Beth? And I'm like, oh, I don't know Beth. She's like, well, I'll introduce you. And I'm like, okay. I was so excited. <laughs> so Beth is in Florida. So now I'm, I mean, Florida is the only other state for me. It's Texas and Florida. And I just, I love you ladies, definitely the men too, but so many, Beth is so well-connected in Florida. It makes sense that I've met so many incredible women there. And part of my, you know, goal or mission is to uh, go invest with other women in commercial real estate. So I foresee myself investing in Florida because of that, because I know so many people through Beth and now you, Jennifer, and I mean, I just adore y'all. So I pay attention to Florida more than I used to. <laughs> I love it. I do too. So my fun facts is uh, the most significant one. How are Texas and Florida alike? So we do know that during the pandemic, there was a fleeing to Texas. A lot of Californians and New Yorkers tended to go to Florida. That doesn't mean that, you know, there were New Yorkers that came to Texas and California to Florida. Uh, the most significant, in my mind, similarity between the states, this is for investing, we have no state income tax. Yay for us. Yay. <laughs> That's right. Yay. I don't even, I don't even know how other states, I uh, so, no <laughs> income tax. You only have to deal with your federal income tax. I believe that is a significant reason why so many investors are coming to Texas and to Florida, and also just people moving there to live. Right. So, if you're working for a company, you make three hundred thousand dollars. Your state income tax is ten percent. Man, that's that's thirty thousand dollars off the top, and then you have to be federal. So. None of that. Uh, that's why Texas and Florida are the best. We'll just say they're tied. That, that's there we go. I like that. <laughs> I love that. And you, partner? All righty. You want to go last or you want to go next? Care. It's up to you. No, no, go for it. So those of you who follow Delete on social media or who have seen her at any event know that she is a fashion queen who loves her shoes. And she spends a lot of time curating her wardrobe and her shoes for her events. So mine has nothing to do with real estate. <laughs> From future marketing insights, the global women's footwear market is estimated to be valued at $185.95 billion for wow. 2023. So almost 186 billion. And according to Lux Digital, I don't even know who this guy is. I am totally not fashionable at all, in case you couldn't tell. Not true. According to Lux Digital, Antonio Vietri's Moonstar shoes are made with 30 carats of diamonds, solid gold, and a meteorite from 1576. They're known as the first 24 karat gold shoes with a futurist appeal. They sold for $19.9 million, the world's most expensive shoes of all time. 
Now that's scary. Nineteen point nine for a pair how of you, shoes. How do you do your due diligence on a meteorite from fifteen seventy six? Was it really fifteen seventy six? Was it really a meteorite? Right. Exactly. No idea. This is crazy. Well, my fun fact is really about the city of Austin and hosting an event which both the city of Miami and the city of Austin share, which is Formula One. In about a week, we have at the Circuit of the Americas, the American Grand Prix. You know, everybody who knows me knows I'm a, I'm a big Formula One fan. It is, the inaugural was in 2012, so it's been 10 years that it has been hosted at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin. Lewis Hamilton won that inaugural race and he is the only driver to have been crowned world champion at CODA, both in 2015 and 2019. Now, in that 10 years, here's an economic fact for you. It has brought over $7 billion in economic benefit to both the city of Austin and the state of Texas, and it generates over 64,000 jobs every year. So, my drop. <laughs> I know. Thank you for Isn't that. Isn't that incredible? There you go. I'm going to tweet go. that right after we get off. I'm going <laughs> to You got it. We'll, the we'll say that away. The impact of Formula yeah, One. It's incredible. And the race will be next week, next weekend. It's, it's CODA. So, very exciting. I can't wait to go to Austin to, to go to the race. So you're going to be here. I'm looking forward. I, won't be, I, I won't be here this time, but hopefully next year I'll, I'll, I'll make it. You yeah. I can't wait. Austin, I, I, to go, but I heard it's beautiful. I, we will. Absolutely. Dali, I can't say enough. This is amazing. You're wonderful. I, I love everything about you. The energy that you brought on today. This is, you know, we, we were right to be excited for this and uh, we, I can't continue. I can't wait to continue to connect through social media and the likes. Thank you for joining us today at this episode of Between Two Chairs and uh, and for enlightening us and, and giving us so much joy. Well, same to you. Thank you so much, so grateful. I mean, I'm grateful to y'all. I, I, whenever you gave me the shout out on that one episode, then of course I had to go listen to hear my name. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just kept listening to more episodes. Y'all give, give such great information. So I really have enjoyed it. I've learned, I have new ideas. I'm gonna start pulling out the zoning map. I mean, <laughs> what a great I idea. It. And I, you know, it's like, why didn't I think of that? And it's so much of what I do is like, oh, I never thought of that. I'll add that to my bag of tricks. I love it. <laughs> great. Well, thank you so much. So thank you for having me. Keep doing what you're doing and educating us all because it's a really big deal and you make it easy to understand, which is my favorite. That's awesome. Thank you.